uh, for, for leading us this morning. At this time, the, the kids are dismissed to their program. Always shed a tear when they go. <laughs> so as we continue our, our series in uh, the essentials, last week we shared, um, we talked about sharing in, in life, you know, koinonia, that shared life together. Well, today we're going to talk about giving. You know, there's a couple of, of taboo topics, religion's one and money's the other, and so I thought we'd just combine those and make us all feel awkward for, uh, for a while together. But seriously, over, over the years, I've gotten some kind of sage advice about, um, about money and, and finances because, you know, I, I didn't start with knowing anything about money or finances. Uh, my dad said this, uh, well, it's simple, just give 10% and save 10%. And that's, that's dad there. And uh, we've, we've, throughout our married life, have, um, have really embraced uh, giving a tithe, you know, giving, a, giving 10% to the Lord. But now, 24 years into marriage, it's 24 years, right? Yeah. Uh, 24 years into marriage, um, we, we wish that we followed my dad's advice about saving all that time. But... Um, but anyway, nonetheless, that's wisdom from dad. Uh, one of my early mentors, uh, Craig Schreiner, um, he said this to me. He says, well, two things about money. Live on less than you make, and God owns it all. That concept of, um, you know, not pushing your standard of living to the limits of what you, what you bring in, because how else can you, can you give? How else can you help, help others and have a cushion? But, but also that concept of God owns it all. Um, this uh, shifting mindset to being a steward of what God's placed in our hands rather than, um, rather than the owner or manager, um, the ruler of what God places in our hands. Well, I think both, both of these comments were really uh, helpful advice and even uh, formative advice. But I think still we, especially in the church, get uncomfortable uh, talking about money. And, uh, and since the Bible talks about it so much, I just want to kind of talk frankly uh, together this morning, because I think it's one of these these core habits of the church, as we'll see. We love talking about love. Uh, we sometimes cringe when we talk about uh, money. Uh, I, I do. But I think we'll see this morning that genuine love leads to generous giving. See, there's a total correlation. There's a connection between them. God, in his very nature, is love bursting forth with love, overflowing with, with love. And so what did he do about that? For God so loved the world, he gave. The correlation, when you love, you give. So the loving and giving are linked. So this morning we're going to look at kind of that connection between loving and giving, and we're going to do th- three things. One is we'll see the practices of the early church, kind of how the church uh, formed and grew and what was their, their habit of giving, kind of historically. Uh, then we're going to focus in on Jesus' comments about, uh, about giving and about treasure. And then finally, we'll just see uh, several just real brief practical principles from the New Testament uh, on giving. And we'll start our journey in Acts 2, 44 to 45, which we've, we've looked at several times during this series. Um, as we look at just the essential practices, what were the habits of the early church um, as, as it was just, you know, a, a baby sort of e- emerging? What did they do? What were they known for? And so first, we'd like to look at the history of giving. 
And we'll notice that generous giving is a mark. It's an identifying characteristic of the Christian community. So here we are in Acts 2, verses uh, 44 to 45, and we see this first kind of description, Luke uh, describing what people saw when they, when they looked at this uh, emerging movement of, of Christ followers. And here's how he describes it, again, returning to Acts 2. He says, And all who believed, you know, everybody in this movement who believed in Jesus, they were together and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so immediately we see that that shared life together, this sense of community, um, this sense of uh, brotherhood and sisterhood together, immediately jumped into uh, giving, to giving to help each other. Um, This conglomeration of, you know, rich and poor and people from foreign lands all clumped together together. What they had in common was that they, uh, they loved Jesus, and that's almost all they had in common. And they started sharing everything else in common right away. Um, so as Luke gives us this little snapshot picture of what did people see when they looked at the early church? What did they notice? What were the identifiable characteristics? Well, this generous giving was part of it. They say, see this new movement? Well, what are they like? Well, they're always in each other's homes, um, and, and, they're, and they're giving. They're generous people. And we see the first thing that they gave to were, were other believers who were in need. There were people who had traveled uh, to Jerusalem for the religious holidays, and, uh, and then they became followers of Jesus, part of this movement, and then they were kind of uh, stranded, so to speak. And there were people who were impoverished, but there were also those who, who had you know land and possessions and uh, so they started helping each other out from the very first thing. They helped believers, those in the body of Christ, who just had basic needs that needed to be met, and they immediately started doing something about that. Notice also Acts 4, uh, 34 to 35. So this is just a couple chapters later. We see the church starting to develop. It says, uh, and there was, this describes the church again, there was not a needy person among them. <laughs> For as many as were owners of lands and houses, they sold them, and they brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So they were taking care of each other that way. And as it grew, they started having to get sort of organized about it, and that's why we see in Acts 6 that um, we're first introduced to the concept of these these servants, uh, deacons, that uh, were the, the first thing we see them doing is taking care of that distribution of funds. Because some people were kind of sliding through the cracks. Hey, oh, wait, what about the, what about the, the Greek uh, widows? Um, you know, we're only, it looks like only the, the Jewish widows are getting helped. And so they, they got this group of people together just to make sure that uh, everyone was being taken care of. So it was a big high priority from the beginning. Well, then as the church uh, continued to grow and, and there were people who were full-time um, you know, ministers of the gospel, they were uh, devoted to the, the teaching of God's word and prayer, um, the church started supporting them. And uh, Paul talks about this, and uh, it may sound like he's self-serving because he was a minister of the gospel, but actually it's in the context of him saying that he never asked for this. But, um, but he talks about how it's appropriate. So if you're, if you're filling in blanks, uh, ministers of the gospel, I see you scrambling. Um, 1 Corinthians uh, nine thirteen to 14 
Paul says to the Corinthian church, uh, don't you realize that those who work in the temple, well, they get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple. And those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings. So he's pointing back to the, the system of um, the Old Testament uh, temple and the, and the, the, um, the offerings and the priests and the, the Levites that served there. And that's how they were supported. And then he says, in the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. So as the church grew, they started supporting ministers who were dedicated to the full-time ministry. Well, it's, uh, honestly, it's, it's awkward for me just to read these verses because I realize that, that I benefit from your generosity here, and I'll just pause to say just thank you so much because um, I have some friends who are bivocational in ministry, and it's really hard for them to, to give um, the attention to uh, studying and preaching God's word uh, when they also have to carry on another, uh, another job. So I'll just say thank you and move on. Um, the next thing they gave to was other churches in need. The church began in Jerusalem, and then it spread out. You know, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, Acts kind of tells the story of how that, that spread. Well, the Jerusalem church is where it started, but they became a really hurting church. <laughs> a persecuted church, um, a needy church. And so some of the other locations were, were collecting offerings and helping out the Jerusalem church. And that's the whole context of Second um, Corinthians 9 when it talks about um, a cheerful giver. And what we were looking at uh, this morning in our 9 o'clock groups is, is that context there. Churches in Macedonia, which had very little, and Corinth, which apparently had a lot more, they were both contributing to... Um, the even more needy church in Jerusalem. So as the church continued to grow, uh, they also invested in just the advancing of the gospel. You know, we, we call that that missionaries. Um, a big chunk of the last uh, chapter of, of Philippians, uh, Paul just talks about his gratitude to the Philippian church for supporting his missionary efforts, uh, supporting him as one taking the gospel. Uh, verse 15 of Philippians 4 says, well, you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except uh, you only. So Paul's just saying, thank you so much. Because of you, we were able to take the gospel further, reach more people. And so as I looked at this list of things, you know, helping those in the body of Christ who have just basic needs that need to be met, uh, supporting the ministry of full-time ministers, other churches in need, uh, missions, advancing the gospel. I thought, that looks a whole lot like First Baptist Church budget. This is like the things that we spend our money on, except for one uh, glaring uh, exception, and that is the worship building and equipment, the building and operations, um, this place of worship and, you know, the elements of the worship, the equipment for worship. And I thought, why is that? not talked about very much in the New Testament compared to the Old Testament when there's whole books <laughs> of the Old Testament dedicated to exactly that. You know, chapters on chapters about all the details of the, the furnishings and all that. And I thought, well, one thing is, I think there's this shift that Jesus makes between the identifiable people of God being a national entity where God chooses the, the children of, of Abraham to be, um, to be his um, like visible representation on earth, 
he shifts to being a national entity to a transnational entity. So instead of the gloriousness of God being demonstrated in in the temple and in the bounty of the the land of promise, now it's shifted to um, uh, the gloriousness of God is shown in the love of the saints who have uh, pretty much nothing else in common except Jesus. And that is now a testimony to the world. So there's this shift in focus away from, away from the structures and the physical to, um, to, to the koinonia, which shows the glory of God. But the other, I think, is just basically a practical issue. Uh, when Moses uh, received the messages from the Lord about what the tabernacle would look like and how worship would be set up, they probably had over 2 million people. So these are all the people came out of Egypt, and, uh, and now you have this, this huge, huge, huge crowd of people, and now you're going to worship Yahweh together. Well, you need a place. <laughs> you need a system. You need all these things. Where in the New Testament church, it's more of this kind of grassroots uh, spreading movement. People are in houses. They're meeting in the existing uh, worship places. Um, it's, uh, it, it's simply the logistics didn't require it in the early parts of Acts. Well, now the church, as Jesus predicted, has grown considerably. And it's over the generations has grown and grown. And so we need places of worship. We need uh, we need the, the systems and the functions and all that. And so I think we can take our cues from the Old Testament. In just real general terms, a place of worship should, uh, I'm going to just mention two things. One, it should take our best efforts. It shouldn't be, you know, a, a shoddy little like, ah, oh, well, this is fine. It's good enough for Jesus. <laughs> it should take our best efforts. And I think it should also point people to God. That's why even the, even the way we lay this place out and the things we, we put on the walls and the things we display are all supposed to just remind us and point us to God. So that list of things there, um, believers in need, ministers of the gospel, churches in need, advancing the gospel, we see how the early church just gave from, from day one. They were givers. From day one, this was an essential habit of Christ's church. But then I wonder, why, why was this so uh, ingrained? Why did they just do this? Why did it just start happening? And I think it comes down to uh, the heart, a transformed heart. And so we're going to turn to Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount and look at a heart of giving and see how Jesus teaches that generous giving reveals what we value We'll be in Matthew 6, 19 to 24, and this is where we'll focus for, for the next few minutes. Generous giving reveals what we value. Now, if you recall the whole Sermon on the Mount, uh, as it's often called, because it was a sermon and it was on a mount, um, we see that Jesus was taking this, this opportunity to cut through all the traditions, all the externalness of the faith, and just drive right down to the core issues of the heart. And he does this in a lot of different realms. We, we, uh, we looked at the verses before this uh, in the realm of prayer a few weeks back. Well, here's what he says about, um, about just treasure in general, verse 19. Uh, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus describes these two kingdoms, these two realms. You know, there's this, um, there's this earthly kingdom, this whole you know, place we live in, the planet Earth. We all were born here. We're all part of this. And then there's this kingdom of heaven, which is eternal. The kingdom of earth is passing away. The kingdom of heaven is growing and is eternal. And we live right here in this funny little mix. If this is a Venn diagram, I'm in the middle of that, you know, intersection. Um, we live where we have a, a foot in this planet, <laughs> Earth, uh, but our real citizenship, if we're a follower of Jesus, has been placed by Jesus into heaven, into the kingdom of eternity with Christ. And so here we are in this funny, awkward, in-between place. And Jesus says, in that funny, awkward, in-between place, all that you invest here, just remember that that's temporary. And all that you invest here lasts forever. So, um, so this should be a driving factor in where we invest, where we invest our, our, our money, where we invest our relationships, where we invest our, our time, our best efforts. Because we live in that in-between place, we, uh, we need to, you know, think about this realm over here. We need to, you know, pay our taxes, so to speak. Jesus addressed that issue at another time. Um, we need to um, just take care of the things God's placed in our hands. And honestly, uh, we can in totally good conscience conscious just enjoy um, the blessings that God puts before us. But all the while realizing that really we belong here in this heavenly kingdom. We're citizens of heaven and invest, invest there. So, the problem is sometimes we think these things over here are ultimately more valuable, you know, whether it's the no- notoriety or certain comforts, adventures, pleasures, prestige. And if we think those are more precious than eternal things, then we're just going to invest there. We're going to put everything in that realm rather than in eternity. And so he says in verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus loved to say things that just, you know, cut right to the heart. And I think this principle here is that giving reflects and predicts what you love. Our treasure follows our hearts. We might say it reveals our hearts. Um, We tend to invest in what we love. If you love somebody, you start, you know, they're on your mind, and you start to get them little gifts or whatever. You love your kids, you know, you invest in them. You love chocolate, you invest in chocolate, etc. So your treasure follows where your heart is. You love something, your treasure starts to, oh, wow. You look at your, at some of you, because it's tax time, are looking at how you spent your money the last year. You're like, oh, my goodness, I never knew I loved, you know, fill in the blank so much. Um, but the flip-flop is true, too, is that your heart follows your treasure. Interesting concept. You start putting money somewhere, and all of a sudden, your heart starts living there. <laughs> um, if, you, uh, if you pay for a gym membership, you're a lot more likely to go to the gym because, like, oh, I just 
place some of my treasure there, so um, I better place the rest of me there too. Um, several years back or a few years back, I got to go to um, Albania on a mission trip, and uh, part of that experience is we needed to raise support. We needed to ask people, you know, would you, would you help fund this mission trip? Really an amazing, amazing experience. Um, here I got to baptize some students in, I believe it's the Ionian Sea down on the coast of Albania, a really special time. A bunch of people help make that trip possible. In fact, some of you in this room help, help finance that trip and probably other trips my, my kids have done and etc. And uh, it was such an encouragement and a blessing to see people giving to that trip. And others of you could have experienced the same thing, and you could say, uh, say the same thing that I can. And that is, um, not only is it just so, you're just so grateful that somebody has helped make this possible, but I realized that anybody who gave, part of their heart is also in Albania. Their prayers are in Albania. Their, their thoughts are in Albania because some of their treasure is in Albania. And that's how... It works. Our hearts follow our treasure, and our treasure follows our hearts. Well, then Jesus goes on, verse uh, 22. It gets a little cryptic. (laughs) He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. So the principle, I think, is that giving, it, it combats this corruptive conflict of interest that happens in our, in our souls. And let me kind of describe that. I think the eye is a lamp of the body. The things that you, you look at and crave and want and maybe covet, that affects your whole person, your whole soul of what you, you are inside. If your life is run by this, like, oh, I see that and I got to have it, this coveting, this discontent, well, it corrupts our souls and keeps us from closeness with God. And generous giving tends to break free those clutches. It's, It's a gift to give. You remember the story of the rich young ruler, the guy, you know, Young, rich, good-looking, whatever, you know, he had it all. He came to Jesus. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Well, keep all the commandments. Oh, I've done that. As if, you know, he did it. And Jesus says, well, um, sell all you have and give it to the poor. Well, he walked away sad. (laughs) It's not the same message Jesus gives to everybody, but he does say to everybody, hold it with open hands before the Lord. See, the rich young ruler was uh, controlled by the things he owned. And Jesus said, you know, to be free from that and follow me, just, just give it all away. <laughs> and it was too much for him. I wonder if you've ever felt kind of distant from God, spiritual things just seem, well, they're just so abstract and I can't really, you know, I just can't really get into it that much. Things here seem so much more concrete. Well, just try giving some stuff away. And it breaks us free from that grip. Here's the thing. This is equally true whether we are relatively rich or relatively poor. This is not a message for people who 
have more money than somebody else. This is a message for all of us. It's an essential habit of those who follow Jesus to live life with open hands before the Lord. It boils down to this, the kind of third principle from, from Jesus' short conversation about money. Giving determines who will be your master, <laughs> who will call the shots in your life, who will, who will rule you. This verse 24, he says, nobody can serve two masters. I think we think more about uh, employee-employer relationships uh, now, and you could picture somebody having uh, two uh, bosses. You know, you might have a day job and a night job, and, and there's some uh, complicated overlap, but you can make it work. But, but not if you are in a slave-master situation. That, that doesn't work at all. Um, no one can serve two masters because he'll either hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You simply cannot serve God and money. You can't have money control you and say that uh, God is your master. And so uh, Jesus just in a, a few short words drives right to the heart of the matter. When we, we hold our possessions with open hands, then we place ourselves comfortably in God's hands. He, he will take care of us just fine. So I think from this conversation in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching, it shows us that, you know, when we give, it reveals what we love. <laughs> it reveals our hearts. And the flip side, our hearts follow after what we give to. So, where are we up to this point? We saw the New Testament's description of the growing church. It shows that generous giving is this identifying characteristic or mark of, of just um, following Jesus. That's what people who follow Jesus do is, is we, we, we're generous. And then we see Jesus' teaching that shows that generous giving has this connection with what we love. Well, the New Testament also has just a lot of this little teachings that are kind of some practical um, principles about giving, and I just like to, I'm just going to run through several of these really quick. Hopefully, these will be encouraging and, and and challenging. The Lord would use these in our in our hearts. What? Okay, yes, filling in the blanks. Sometimes I forget. I get behind. So now we'll just talk about this lifestyle, this habit of giving, generous giving. Well, it's an intentional lifestyle. We, we do this on purpose, and we do it as a habit of life, not just completely random. I'm mostly going to be referring to some passages in First and Second Corinthians. It, it seemed like the Corinthian uh, churches, because of being in Corinth, they had more, um, just more money, more treasure than a lot of the other churches that were in you know, more difficult areas. Um, if you look geographically in this part of the world right here, we tend to have more money than a lot of the world. And it's fun sometimes. I'll look on globalrich.com. You should look it up. And you can put in your, um, you put in, you know, your annual income, and you can see where you rank uh, in the whole world as far as you know, how, you know, how rich you are compared to the whole world. Well, it might be really enlightening. You might all of a sudden realize that you're a lot richer than uh, you ever dreamed because of so much of the world is just literally just scraping by to live. So it's a good uh, perspective resetter, uh, and it's a lot of fun. 
So I think we're kind of like Corinth in that way. So 1 Corinthians 16.2, first, there's a couple of principles here. And uh, it says this, on the first day of the, every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So just a couple of little principles out of this. One is uh, routinely give. See, it says on the first day of every week. <laughs> it isn't just, oh, well, sometime, you know, kind of my heart strings got tugged, so I think I'm going to give. But it's this habit. Like, yeah, we just, you know, we just routinely, this is a part of life. We give um, methodically. Uh, I found that um, Sunday mornings, uh, I'm scurrying around doing a lot of uh other things, and it's honestly hard for me to uh, remember um, to, you know, write my check or fill it out, and actually my wife has always done that over the years too, because I have a hard time remembering anyway, but um, so recently it's made it a, a ton easier that uh, we've started uh, online giving at the church here, so if you're that kind of person like me, uh, feel free to to use that just practically. It's on our website now. You just click on the button that says give, so you could set up a, a monthly thing. I'm just talking logistics briefly here because it's been just helpful for me because sometimes my brain is whoo, as you probably have discovered. So, um, so I think a first principle in there is just make it a habit of routine life. Um, give universally. Well, you see that little phrase there where it says, each of you, <laughs> if you're a follower of Jesus, then... This should just be a, a part of your life. It's not just for certain kinds of Christians. It's an essential habit. Another little tidbit from, from uh, verse 2 there is uh, proportionally give. It, it's not giving, giving to the church now is what I'm talking about. It's not, it's not like it's dues. Like, okay, you know, this club is $200 a month, everybody. No, it's um, according to how you, have, uh, how you may prosper what the Lord's placed in your hands. So I think that's all I'm going to say about that verse. Second <laughs> uh, Corinthians, now going to the follow-up book, uh, chapter 9, verse 5. We'll also look at verse 7. Uh, verse 9 says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Oh, kind of an interesting thing happening. Um, again, talking about the Jerusalem church who really had these critical needs and some of the other churches were helping out the Jerusalem church. Um, the Corinthians apparently said, oh yeah, yeah, we'll help. Um, and then the Macedonians who had hardly anything at all, they got on board and they're like, yeah, we're, we, can, we can help too. And so uh, apparently the, Paul had already collected the Macedonian gift and he's getting ready to go to Corinth and he's like, you, got, you guys better have that gift ready that you talked about, or we're all going to look silly. Uh, you're going to look silly. I'm going to look silly. So um, just heads up, um, we're, we're coming to, you know, to uh, finish that deal that we started earlier. So that's kind of the context of what's happening in Second Corinthians. Here's just a couple comments here. Uh, faithfully give. It says, that gift you have promised. So if you've promised to give something to God... Um, you better follow through and, and keep your promises to, to God. Um, this next phrase, a willing gift, not as an extraction. No, as an exaction. 
Sorry, some of us have to have some dental work done at my house, so. And maybe that's just as good a word. Um, he's like, it's not, it shouldn't be like pulling teeth. <laughs> um, yeah, that just came to me. <laughs> um, it's like, no, it's just because just you want to. There's, and, and that's why, uh, well, I'm talking about money today because um, it, it's the topic and it's the passages we're talking about. But we don't, we don't just talk about money all the time here. And, and uh, we don't make a habit of, you know, sad stories and, pulling hearts. It's really uh, a free, freely giving. If God's placed it on your heart, you should really do it. Let's look a couple verses later, verse 7. Um, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Give as he has decided in his heart. This intentionality, this purposefulness between you and God. Not between you and me. (laughs) Not between you and anybody else, but between you and God to purposefully give. And then finally, which is just really fun. God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, many of you know that word for cheerful there is, is the word we get hilarious. It's like hilaros, uh, the Greek word. It just means, well, it's just really funny. No, it just means uh, to be just cheerful, glad, excited. This is, this is just wonderful. We get, to, we get to give. And sometimes it doesn't feel like that at church. And especially this is from the kind of the culture I grew up in, um, where if there was a song during the offering, that was going to be um, the funeral dirge that we sang. I pictured, you know, putting your money in a casket and walking down the aisle with it as it goes off, and we, you know, wipe, there went my, you know, my tithe. Um, and uh, as I was a, a student, I was part of, um, well, I was twist. my arm was twisted to be in, in our high school choir. I didn't really sing. After a while, they realized I was just mouthing it, but... Um, but anyway, there's a couple in, in that singing group that they were going to introduce a new song and sing it in church, and the response is, oh, not during the offertory, because that would just be, you know, too, you know, too happy of a song to do during the offertory. So on the, on the flip side of that, um, the church my sister goes to down in, down in kind of North L.A., um, they have this habit of whenever the pastor will mention that they're going to receive the offering, Everybody, uh, everybody cheers and claps. They're like, yeah, all right, it's offering time. It's just kind of a fun uh, tradition of, uh, uh, of her church. And, and we actually stopped by. We experienced that, which was pretty fun. Um, in fact, um, in a moment, we were going to actually take the offering. So I thought maybe we should try that. See, um, in a moment, we're going to take the offering. There you go. Wow, <laughs> that, that felt like you really mean it. That is, that is fabulous. Um, and actually, I would like to invite uh, Noah and Jen back up and, and also the ushers. Um, but I, I do want to be really clear. Listen, listen. We shifted the order of service around to do the offering at the end, not so you will give more, um, but so it will mean more because we've been talking about giving. 
Um, don't put anything in the plate that you were not already intending to give when you came, in, unless you just feel like God is just, you know, compelling you to do that. Not Josh is compelling you to do that. Um, yeah, go ahead. Come on. Come on down. Don't, don't be shy. So I regretted so much that on the last part of your bulletin, I did not leave a blank. So you already know that the challenge for the day is to invest generously in eternity. Um, and I think it'd be appropriate right now if we just prayed and thank God for his generosity toward us. Lord God, you, you just surprise us all the time with your good gifts. Uh, that could be financially. Often it's in, in other ways, the, the sweetness of, uh, of friendships and the beauty of a, of a sunset or a sunrise for those early birds. All these uh, just gracious gifts from you. You are the father of every good and perfect gift. And so we just celebrate. We, we give thanks to you, and, and we're, we're humbled by it, and we, we glory in you, and we, we just celebrate you. God, I pray that, uh, that you would also just move our hearts to be generous people, that it would flow out of um, a love for you, it would flow out of um, a love for what, what you're doing in your, your church. And, uh, and then we just experience the byproduct of, of the rich uh, blessing of of putting our treasure in eternal things. And so, God, right now we just offer these up to you uh, for your purposes. And I, I pray for really wisdom on our church leadership's part to, to use these offerings well, to use them to the utmost of your glory and the things that are important to you. We're really committed to that, and we pray that that would continue. God, thank you so much for all you do, and we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.